let all the people of God say amen. Amen. Well, hey, it's good to be together in worship this morning. It's good to be in community. Uh, I am excited because this morning we get to continue a series we started last week called The Four Biggest Questions You've Ever Had About God. Uh, what we've been doing, we took uh, right before Easter, we took a, a, we had a little box and had everybody from the community fill out a question that they've never heard talked about in church about God, and, and so we, we took those and took the four that had the most, uh, the, the most requests, if you will, and uh, that's what we're looking at. And so last week we talked about what did God do before earth? What did God do before earth? And we, we talked about how we can't know exactly uh, what God did before earth, but we can know based on what we read in scripture, what maybe we've experienced in our lives, that God is love from before time to through time through beyond time. That's God's character, and that's who God is and how God is. And so this morning, we're going to talk about another one of those great questions. Um, this one was, was one of the ones that struck me uh, when, I, when I first saw it, and it's, why does God seem different in the Old and New Testaments? Why does God seem different in the Old and New Testaments? Uh, maybe you've, you've seen one of these before. This is called a Bible, uh, we, another thing that we use occasionally in the church. And, uh, and, and it's a good question because sometimes it, it can seem, you read the Old Testament, God seems one way. Maybe then you read the New Testament and God see, seems another way. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And to talk about it, we're going to use a, a scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pull it out. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to point you to that back canvas wall in the room. Uh, there are Bibles there there for you to use this morning, and if you don't have a Bible at home that you can read or understand, please take one of those with you. That would be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the 17th through the 20th verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. Also, it's going to be on the wall behind me if you'd care to follow along that way. Before we read, though, let me pray for us. God, we are here. We've come from many different places to this one place. And we trust that as we've encountered you in worship this morning, God, that you are already here too. And so we pray, God, in these moments ahead that as we reflect on your word and on our lives, God, would you be speaking to us? Would we be listening for you? And would you be making us more and more like you with every breath we take? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, in this section, this is Jesus speaking. Now don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But... Whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So about seven years ago, this time, I remember waking up on a couch, a place that was very unfamiliar to me. And it was very, very far away away. I woke up on a couch way too early in the morning. Have you ever had one of those moments where it's way, way too early for that alarm clock to be going off? So I wake up and uh, groggily get up and, and Kelly was in a, another room and she got up and we joined together with my cousin and her husband and we set out for a drive. So it's early in the morning and, and we're driving. We drove for two or three or maybe four hours. Our co- my cousin had said, you'll want to make this drive. And, and I wondered, well, well, what would be so worth getting up way, way too early, making a drive way, way too early to go and see? And so Kelly and I got out of the car with my cousin and her husband, and, and we walked a little bit. And uh, after we walked a little bit, uh, my cousin said, well, well, here we are. And uh, we looked out, and, and my life was never the same after that moment. Now, what would be worth getting up that early for, driving that long for, being in a place that's so unfamiliar and so foreign, and having a life-changing moment? You see, my, my cousin at the time was, was studying at Arizona State University. And we, uh, Kelly and I, went out to visit her and her husband in 2009. And, and they took us on this drive so that we could be there near the start of the day, near the sunrise, to see this place that maybe you've heard of before called the Grand Canyon. And so Kelly and I were there. This is us at the Grand Canyon, uh, back when I had a little bit of a mop. And, uh, and you can see there in the background the Grand Canyon. Now, now here's what I remember about that trip. It's been a, been a couple days since that happened. Uh, but what I remember was walking around. We walked for miles and miles. And every time we would walk, has, any, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon, by the way? Just a few, okay, a few of you have. So one of the things you need to know, it's kind of big right? Like, you know, it's, it's a larger uh, landmass. And so uh, as you walk around, there are some things that stay common about the Grand Canyon. Uh, it is beautiful everywhere you look, right? I, I, I don't remember that day looking at something being like, ah, that's average. Uh, it's really, really pretty. Uh, there's, there's a lot of rock around. That's a pretty common thing, right? It's, it's fairly rocky. But depending on where you are standing and what time of day it is, the Grand Canyon can look dramatically different from one moment to the next. All it takes is for you to shift just a few paces over and change your field of view, and all of a sudden you see something completely different. For me, it was something I had never seen before. You see, the Grand Canyon wasn't changing in those moments. It wasn't like all of a sudden, like the canyon was like, hey, this guy's looking at us, let's put on our happy face, right? Like, that would be weird for rocks to do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Grand Canyon stayed the same. It was me who was changing position. It was the light that was changing position. But the Grand Canyon remained the same when I was there that day. It's probably the same now, maybe minus a few millimeters of shift or micrometers or whatever. The Grand Canyon stays consistent while we change. And I think sometimes when we think about God, when we think about our relationship with God, and when we think about the God that we read about in the Holy Bible, we see sometimes stories that make us feel like God is different. So maybe you've read, uh, how many of you have read the story about Noah's Ark 
Anybody remember Noah's Ark? That's one of the great ones we teach in Sunday school. Uh, hey, kids, let's talk about animals going two by two uh, up onto this boat. Hop, skip, and jump. Whee! And, uh, oh, by the way, the entire earth is, like, devastated <laughs> afterwards, right? It's not the most kid-friendly story in the Bible, but, hey, we, we've been living with it for a while, right? So that's, a, that's an Old Testament story. Uh, we see other things in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, we encounter this guy, Jesus, right? Jesus, who does things a little bit differently. Then there's this apostle named Paul who gives gets up and he talks. He's like, he's as prolific of a writer as uh, like Adam Hamilton or other, other church leaders. And, and so he writes a bunch of letters and he does a lot of things. And, and it seems like, if you're like me, it can seem like the Bible changes. It can seem like God is changing. God was once powerful and vindictive and raw kind of God. And, and then it kind of shifts in the New Testament. It feels like God's like, oh, cute baby kind of thing. Like, and, uh, and the thing is, God doesn't change, right? We believe this is one of like the orthodox tenets of what it means to be a Christian, that, that God is unchanging from eternity into eternity. The reason I think that God seems different in the Bible is because people are different too. People are different too. We, one of the things we do sometimes in church is we talk about this book and we say this is God's word, right? God's word. Well, here's the thing. God wasn't up, you know, wherever uh, a while ago and like, okay, let me type out in the beginning, uh, and then just like, okay, uh, here you go, uh, Alan, here's what I want you to say. There you go. All right, done. That's, That's not exactly how the process worked, right? We believe that God inspires the writing of scripture, that God inspired people, just like we pray uh, every morning. I sit in here and pray and, and pray before I come here, and I pray that God would be speaking through this time, that there would be less of me and more of thee kind of thing. Because here's the thing, if this is just me getting up and talking and saying whatever floats into my mind, this is going to be pretty awful and pretty laborious and pretty boring, right? But if this is God speaking and if this is God working and God inspiring the words that are coming out of my mouth and inspiring what our hearts are receiving in this time, then we can trust that God is present and God is real and God is love in this space. And that's how it was for the writers of Scripture too. These people had close connection with God. They had close connection to their community, and God inspired the writers of Scripture to write the words that they wrote. But the thing is, there's still people, right? In, my, in, in sermons, sometimes I make really silly jokes that nobody should ever make and aren't that funny. Uh, that happens... There are other preachers that do that. There are preachers that don't do that, right? If you were to give 100 pastors the same scripture passage, you'd probably get 100 different sermons about it. Just because God inspires it doesn't mean it's exactly, precisely the same every single time. So let's think about the Old Testament and the New Testament. People are different. How are people different? Think about in the Old Testament what, what, what happens there, right? First off, the Old Testament covers a pretty significant chunk of time. Uh, depending on what you believe, um, some people believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old right now. Other people believe it's like billions of years old, uh, and then there are those in between. So no matter what you believe, whether it's thousands or millions or billions of years, the earth is really old, and the Old Testament covers the span of, a, excuse me, a majority of that time. A lot of time it's trying to cover, right? It, it, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Malachi, right? A lot of time is taking place. That influences the way 
that, this, that it's written because you've got to understand it wasn't just one guy sitting down on his keyboard like, hey, let me type or papyrus this out, whatever, right? Like this is, this is multiple voices over a long period of time discerning God's will, discerning how God is inspiring. It covers a lot of time. The second thing is that, that the culture in, this, in, in the era of the Old Testament largely was centered around story, largely centered around story. So you've got to remember, uh, literacy levels were not super in this time. There weren't a lot of people that were reading the latest John Grisham novel, right? A lot of people relied on storytelling to be how they heard information, how they heard about this idea of God or, or how they heard about anything. It wasn't that they just picked up the paper and said, hey, let me, or picked up their Kindle or whatever, right? Like they, they gathered around campfire, they gathered in community together and they told stories. That's why the Old Testament is filled with so many stories, right? It's very narrative in its approach. It's very, very story-like. It's because of the culture that's centered around. Then the other thing is that you've got to remember that there is a pluralism. In, in other words, there are many different people that are in power and many different faith traditions that are taking place. So, so you think about, like, if you read, uh, I feel like uh, we've been reading the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights, and, and you read there, there are like several different kings in the course of that, that covers like maybe 90 or 100 years, right? And there are like four or five different kings, it seems like. There's always a new empire. There's always a new ruler. There's always the next person down the line. And then you've got all these people with all the, like polytheism was a really big thing. So, so people who believed in like multiple gods, so like the god of the sky and the god of, you know, candles and the god of weird sandals and all that sort of like there there's a different god for everything right there's a lot of different gods and so so the picture of god that's painted then is a god that has some kind of power that is greater than the power of the many and to follow god meant it was more important to follow this god than to follow the gods of sandals and wicker and all that other stuff right so that's, that's the Old Testament picture. Then if you shift to the New Testament, the world changes just a little bit, right? The New Testament is not covering thousands or millions of billions of years. The New Testament covers a period of time that's uh, somewhere in the range of about 150 to 200 years, if you don't count the book of Revelation. If you add Revelation in, it gets closer to 400 years. But, but it's a very condensed period of time. The Gospels, right? The, the first four books of the New Testament, how long do those cover? Like a couple decades, right? It's not even not even a bunch of years uh, at all. It's a very condensed period of time. Rather than being centered on stories, these these books are centered more on speech speeches. So you think about philosophers being very prominent at this time, politicians being really big at this time. Speeches that would convince people of a certain way to live, convince people of a certain way to act and to be in community and all that sort of thing. And then there is a little bit more unanimity in this time in terms of power and in terms of faith, right? The Jewish faith is the predominant faith that we read about in scripture. And and the power, by the time we get to the New Testament, the power is not just all over the place. It's centered in Rome, right? The Roman Empire is huge. It's this big, big behemoth power kind of system. And so, rather than being a text that's about God being powerful and mighty and all this sort of thing, the Gospels in the New Testament become more about the subversive power of God to turn things upside down, to change, to bring about love and hope and light. What changed between the Old and New Testaments wasn't God. God continues to be, I believe that God is as powerful as God has been throughout all time. The power of creation, the power to to do whatever God will do, God continues to have that power. 
And I believe the love that we see in the person of Jesus, the love that the Holy Spirit brings us together to celebrate here this morning, all of that continues to be the same and has been for all eternity. It's just people's perspectives change. People's perspectives change even today. So here's the thing. Why wouldn't we just say, like, okay, well, well, we don't like the things that God does over here. There, are, are there any parts of Scripture you don't like? I know I have some. Uh, there's some stuff that makes me, like, super uncomfortable that's in the Bible. We talked about Noah's Ark. That's one of them. We could tell a number of other stories. Uh, so sometimes you'll get this suggestion of, like, well, well, why don't we just cut out the Old Testament? You know, we're a New Testament people. We can, we can follow the New Testament. There was a, a guy named Marcion in the early church who suggested this very thing. He was like, yeah, get rid of that thing. Do you know what happened to that guy? Anybody have any guesses? Burned. Yeah, he died. That guy, well, I mean, it's like thousands of years ago. He'd probably be dead anyways. But, but he, he did not make it out alive, right? People were so upset about this idea. This, this was called the first heresy of the church to eliminate the Old Testament, right? We need the whole Bible because it helps to paint the picture of who God is and what God looks like. We run into issues when we cherry pick what we like out of the Bible, when we just say, hey, this sounds like a, this is going to be my power verse. This is going to be like my scripture of the day uh, or my scripture of whatever, right? Like you, you pull little bits and pieces out and you miss the whole of who God is. And what happens in these moments is something very, very dangerous. I love the way that the author Anne Lamott talks about this. I've actually shared this quote here with you before, but I'm going to share it again because I think this is really important. She says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. Sometimes we cherry pick pieces of scripture out to help the Bible say what we want it to say. And the problem with that is that's not really what the book is intended for. It's not intended to be a crutch for us to lean on or for our arguments to lean on. It's meant to be a revealing of who God is and how God loves. But at the same time, we have to own that that there are certain parts of the Bible that are going to speak to some people more than to others. You know, you think about this, uh, the, the book of Leviticus. It's a book full of laws. Uh, I heard one of the best sermons I ever heard in my life in seminary about the book of Leviticus, but that's the only time I've really spent any time with it. I don't, I don't like Leviticus. It's kind of boring, right? And it's weird in parts, but it's still there. The book of Leviticus doesn't speak to me as much as the book of 1 Corinthians does. That's the thing, is each of us are uniquely and wonderfully made. For some of us, we're going to read parts of Scripture, and we're going to see God. It's going to be like a two-by-four hit us in the face. God showed up, and boom, we are there. Yes, God, I see you in these words. For other parts of Scripture, maybe we're going to have to wrestle. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be weird. But here's what I'm reminded of. In the Old Testament, Moses ascends on Mount Sinai, to receive these ten commandments on this, these tablets. And Moses catches just a passing glimpse of who God is. And his face shines brightly. In the Gospels, Jesus is walking along and a woman in need of healing reaches out and touches just the hem of his garment. It would be like touching this little part of my sleeve and what happens to her. She's healed completely. Sometimes all we can muster is a glimpse of God. And in that glimpse, God's glory is revealed. 
God may speak throughout this entire book. God may speak throughout our entire lives. And it's in those glimpses that we experience the fullness of who God is and how God loves. So what are we left with? What do we do? We need the whole thing. Certain parts speak to us. We've got all this stuff, all these questions that wrangle around in our head. I want to share with you something that I've found helpful from a guy named Peter Enns. Peter Enns was an a Ivy League-educated uh, religious studies guy, and he teaches at Eastern University now. He has a book called The Bible Tells Me So. highly recommend. And in that book, he writes this. This is the Bible we have. The Bible where God meets us. Not a book kept at a safe distance from the human drama. Not a fragile Bible that has to be handled with care lest it crumble in our hands. Not a book that has to be defended 24-7 to make sure our faith doesn't dissolve. In other words, not an artificially well-behaved Bible that gives false comfort. But the Holy Bible, the Word of God, with wrinkles, complexities, unexpected maneuvers, and downright strangeness. This is the Bible God has given God's people. This Bible is worth reading and paying attention to because this is the Bible God uses, as he always has, to point its readers to a deeper trust in him. You see, my friends, we will always have our limits, but God's capacity to love will never know those limits. I don't know that in this life we'll ever be able to completely see or completely understand who God is. But just because I can't see the whole Grand Canyon at once doesn't mean that it stops being completely beautiful. And just because I can't see all of who God is at one time doesn't mean that God stops loving me or that God stops loving you. You see, my friends, God is unchanging. We may change. Life may change. Things may get different. We may be here together at Fieldstone for a long time or a short time or for all time. We may be in the NRV on vacation right now, or this may have been our home for decades. Life changes, and we change we'll always see something different. But God's story is unchanging. God's love has been present from the dawn of creation, from the first drop of ink that spilled onto the page in Genesis through the last blot of ink in Revelation and every moment in between and every moment since. God is love. And that love will never ever change for you or for me for all the world. So why does God seem different? Maybe it's because we're different. Maybe we aren't all the same. But I'm reminded that the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does not thrive on its sameness, but on its oneness. Even in our great diversity. We are made one because of who God is.
and because of how God loves. Thanks be to God. Amen. We all come from such different places. Some of us were able to walk here this morning. Others of us had to drive from miles away. Some of us came here because we wanted to. Others of us were forced to be here. And yet, no matter how it is we came to be here, no matter who it is that we are as we gather here, God shows up. And God says, here I am. Here's my love.